You're listening to a UCD Humanities Institute podcast. This podcast series features recordings of lectures, seminars and events hosted by or associated with the University College Dublin Humanities Institute. Our podcasts are available on Apple, Spotify and on SoundCloud. For more information and to listen to hundreds of podcasts, go to ucd.ie forward slash humanities. In this episode, a paper from Antiquity and the Anthropocene. This online workshop re-examined ancient perceptions of nature, power and power over nature to better understand our current environmental crisis. The workshop, which was organised by Matthew Mandich and Giacomo Savani, took place on the 26th of February 2021. This episode features a paper by Enrico Postiglione from the University of Modena, Reggio Emilia. His lecture, Aristotle and Techne, Reconsidering the Nature-Technology Divide in Light of Western Demonology, was introduced by Chiara Blanco from the University of Oxford. A video of this lecture, including the slides used by the speaker, is available on the UCD Humanities Institute's YouTube channel. I'm thrilled to announce our second speaker today, Enrico Postiglione. Enrico holds a PhD from the University of Modena and Reggio Emilia. He was a visiting researcher at the University of Michigan, where he worked under the supervision of Professor Victor Caston and the Université Panthéon Sorbonne in France. His research in the philosophy of mind and metaphysics focuses primarily on ancient philosophy and its relationship with contemporary debates. He is the editor of a special issue of Archai entitled Ancient Perspectives on Technology, published in 2020, and has also published a series of articles on ancient philosophy, philosophy of mind, and philosophy of education. Today, he will be talking about Aristotle on techne, reconsidering the natural technology divide in light on Western demonology. So Enrico, I hand it over to you. So thank you. Uh, first of all, thank you everyone and the organizer for inviting me to this very intriguing uh, event. So as you said, my uh, paper is entitled Aristotle on techne, uh, reconsidering the nature of technology divide in light of Western demonology. This means that uh, I'll try to um, to make a parallel between uh, two intriguing strands in the history of Western demonology and the contemporary approaches uh, to the nature technology problem, uh, and then try to provide a solution through um, Aristotle. So, uh, first of all, um, let, let me introduce a little bit of the, the problem. Uh, and also let me specify that given the context of a multidisciplinary workshop, uh, so my presentation would be more theoretical than uh, strictly textual. So I will be providing references, but uh, not going exactly through uh, uh, Aristotle texts. Um, so this said, I'll say that, of course, we all know today things like artificial intelligences, biomechanics, uh, are all pieces of evidence of a new alleged ability to bend nature uh, to our purposes. Um, and apparently, uh, there's a lot of debate that they seem to raise new and fundamental questions as they apparently provide a human subject with an almost infinite range uh, of incoming possibilities. Uh, of course, as a philosopher and as all philosophers that, uh, do nowadays, you know, questions emerge. So are there any problems implied by technology? Should we think of boundaries to be established for technological advancement? Are we entitled to exceed such limits? Uh, are there any limits of, of sort? So as a result, today we get a 
big debate. Yet on a closer look, uh, as we may all testimony, uh, the puzzles concerning technology and human nature are not new. Um, an example uh, can come, for example, from the Burmese uh, mythology. Uh, so the lucky traveler who you know, joined uh, a party, uh, a Burmese party, would often notice floral compositions and fruits all around the sound system. Those are offerings to Minmahagiri, a nut, uh, namely a spirit. Patron of technology science, he had been the son of a blacksmith and a blacksmith himself. So of course, such an extension of the concept of um, technology from uh, the product or the craft of a blacksmith and a high fidelity audio system seems to be philosophically relevant as it you know, make, it conceives, for example, of a silex flaked by Homo habilis two million years ago, and for example, artificial intelligence um, as occurrences of the same activity, despite being enormously different uh, in terms of complexity, uh, of course. So this attitude um, seems to be conceivable nowadays, as intuitively we, we could agree that every technological behavior unfolds the very same tension against what would have been impossible in absence of that same behavior. So in other words, so between what would be apparently proper of a human being uh, and the possibility of acquiring new properties through uh, technology, there will be a tension. So for example, if nature is meant to represent a certain set of laws and possibilities, uh, then sentences like human beings cannot fly uh, seem to make sense. But on the other way around, a technological behavior apparently overturns these alleged limits and allows human beings to fly in an aircraft or slash with a knife, um, for example. Uh, so from an evolutionary uh, standpoint, this tension appears to be weaker than before. Uh, and indeed, uh, every technological behavior should always and necessarily disclose nothing but a certain set of skills um, acquired during a species evolution. So quite fairly, uh, whatever a human being is able to do and produce uh, must be included within his or her behavioral patterns as a result uh, of the adaptation. So drawing on this kind of claims, the first categories of um, those looking at the nature technology, the, the debate as I see it, and I, I call them tech supporters, um, they claim that whatever can be done uh, by a human being must fall within its, for its possibility. So or, therefore it must pertain uh, to its nature. So according to this view, um, all technology should be uh, natural. So as a consequence, um, you know, transhumanism or any other uh, faithful supporter of technology looks at the nature technology bite as a conquest. So we have to save humanity from decay by complementing through technology what is naturally imperfect and then perfectible. So on the other way around, nature should be under attack, attack and bound to perish. And technology is supposed to overcome nature one day or another. So the opposite view, uh, I call the naturalist view. So there's some people who is not attracted by the idea that human nature changes in accordance and is influenced by technology. So for them, technological sophistication beyond certain limits 
endangers both nature understood as a complex system and human naturalness. So nature, according to naturalists, already provides reasonable limits within which good technology must be kept. So to prevent an unnatural ethical and technological decline. So the Eastern or Western demonology um, and mythology seems to me that as much to say about this divide between naturalists and tech supporters. So in the first section of my presentation, I'll try to, to, to prove that with some examples. So the first example is of course, Prometheus. Uh, we learned from the wonderful presentation that preceded me uh, a lot about Prometheus. And uh, you know, at the end of the presentation, we also specified, yeah, it's very famous for stealing fire. And indeed he defied gods uh, and gave fire to, to humanity. Well, you know, tech supporters will claim that Prometheus is a humanist hero, uh, integrating human nature with a new power. On the other way around, naturalists could say that Prometheus exceeded the boundaries of what was then supposed to be uh, the nature of human beings. So another example could be Faustus' deal with the devil, uh, which reflects our ancestral aspiration to resist human finiteness and death and our vain attempt to rise uh, above nature. Um, so deals with the forces of evil, chemical experimentation, inventions, hubristic actions uh, in ancient antiquity uh, are in some sense nothing but previous attempts to address the same concerns uh, the contemporary debate on technology faces uh, nowadays. Um, so all these attempts are attempts to overcome uh, the limits of NATO somewhat. So there are two intriguing strands uh, in demonology. Of course, I will um, skip ancient Greek uh, demonology for a while because of its neutrality, which is exactly what the, the kind of a solution I will be proposing uh, at a later stage. So. Um, the human intimate desire to overcome nature has frequently been summarized by demonic entities who promise to free mankind from the bounds of nature. And this attitude, uh, I'll try to show, uh, uh, is a long-standing one, but is much similar to what tech supporter says nowadays about technology. And on the other way around, uh, those claiming that nature was perfect and then not perfectible, perfectible um, mostly because of um, religious beliefs. So nature reflected a sketch of God, so it must be uh, perfect. So all demonic figures pertaining to this tradition, being a representation of dabs and dissatisfactions, were feared or later on uh, mocked as attempts to destroy the, um, the divine order of nature. And this much, seems to be much, to have much in common with um, contemporary naturalists. So um, the, mm, the tension um, between those who support our technology and those who try to resist its temptation, so to preserve nature nowadays, seems to be a, rep, a representation um, of the history of our demoniac beliefs. So early demonology um, is quite complicated. So when it comes to prehistoric times, it's not always easy to distinguish demonic figures uh, from gods because we have, you know, of course we lack information and paintings are not exactly clear. Um, but North American cosmogonic myths already give an insight 
on, um, you know, for at least for my purposes in this paper. So according to this kind of mythology, demonic figures aim to ruin the perfection of creation and are responsible for introducing death and disease into it. So somehow they represent the ancestral experience of the problematic aspects of reality. This kind of approach to demons stands um, for many uh, kind of demonologies. It applies to Mesopotamian magical texts, to ancient Egyptian demons who always possess animal and horrific features that testimony that idealization of that as a terrible and incomprehensible mystery, which is completely extraneous to nature. Uh, and even Islamic, Chinese, and Zoroastrian mythologies have some kind of demonic uh, figures um, ruining nature somewhat. Um, this kind of tradition flew into naturalist demonology. demonology sorry. So early Christianity um, made of demonic figures something like um, the representatives of what falls beyond the limits of nature, um, but rather what we experience inside nature and see we're not able to understand. So Hebraism, for example, ascribed to Satan the role of the investigator, the investigator and the representation um, of the personification of dubs about nature. And this tradition goes on um, depicting the devil as someone who wants to deceive um, and someone we, we must fight uh, against. Um, as in the past, for example, in this tradition, we may have been tempted by the devil. Today, we are tempted by our technology to overcome the limits of an imperfect nature. But the tension between nature and technology in this path remain unaddressed. Uh, and we, of course, must rely on our in-principle assumptions. So if we believe in God or we, we believe in nature as a kind of perfect thing, of course, we must resist the temptation of technology. On the other way around, we should endorse it. So it doesn't seem to be very helpful, at least philosophically. Um, the second strand, the second intriguing strand, strand in the history of demonology, what I call the tech supporters demonology. So when, you know, with, with the advent of Renaissance and post-Renaissance, we were, uh, you know, mankind was stimulated by a new uh, scientific uh, passion. Um, and indeed, the figure of devils uh, changed. Uh, devil and demons came to offer science, knowledge, power, money through deals. So the temptation became rather intellectual. Uh, so for this reason, the devil has no need to deceive or frighten. He now possesses human features appearing to human beings with no disguise. So as in this part, accepting the intellectual offer of the devil is a free choice of the modern man. So who's well aware of what is at stake in such a deal, namely his eternal anxiety towards the boundaries of nature. So the importance of the theme of the pact with the devil in Western thought is expressed by the enormous number of works referring to it. I won't cite uh, all of them. It's a really long tradition. You can just say William Blake, Christopher Marlowe, Lord Byron, Gaith, Puskin, and so on. Um, so it seems to me, of course, I can't discuss that for long, but whatever implication the last achievements of contemporary technology um, Oh, sorry. Um, Whatever achievement contemporary technology acquired, uh, the debate still polarizes 
polarizes on the idea of nature as something to be preserved or overcome. So it seems to be, it seems we have just two options open. So on the one hand, preserving nature, on the other hand, trusting the demon of technology in this case, uh, as I call it. So the two strands uh, in Western demonology reflect both an intriguing contradiction that would hardly lead to a satisfactory answer to the problem of technology. Because on the one hand, of course, death is dreadful, is a dreadful affair for all of us. Yet on the other way around, the idea of um, a technological device that could lead to eternity appears to be puzzling and awful. So in front of the paradox of life and death, uh, the risk of deciding in principle, uh, so believed by, just by principles, is very high. So an alternative strand uh, seems to come from Aristotle, uh, of course, stands within uh, Greek demonology that look at the demon in a true neutral way. So in my view, Aristotle's conception of techne uh, is very helpful in solving this kind of tension. So first of all, let me remind to all of you that at physics 194A to T, Aristotle says, well, technology imitates nature. This raised a huge debate about those claiming that uh, Aristotle was not detaching himself from Plato, uh, was limiting um, the power of the technological enterprise because it was limited by nature. Um, but I think things stand in a different way. Uh, indeed, uh, Aristotle also rejects the idea that technological production imitates natural production in the sense of exactly copying natural production processes. For him, what is at stake in this process of imitation is the purpose, not the object of production. For example, at Protrepticus B1314, he states that it's natural teleology to be exemplary for human technological activity. So nothing in Aristotle's text accounts to a defense of the integrity of nature against the allegedly counter-natural technological products of our time. He states that technology sometimes can implement or surpass what is perfectible and then imperfect in nature, in many of his works. And this is a reflection of Aristotle's views, metaphysical views, who lead him uh, to accept the unity of the product of technology and the activity of production. So is this enough to say that Aristotle would consider all contemporary art technology as natural? Well, I don't think so. Uh, indeed, for Aristotle, as Aristotle says at physics 194a to TTF, the only standards of technological perfection um, of nature are human purposes. So as human purposes indirectly pertain to the natural domain, in a second meaning, we can say that every product of technology is also natural. But in the other way around, if it's telos, if it's purpose, if the purpose of our technological activity is not natural, they could be natural or not in a different meaning. So usually today we use technology in reference to an endless variety of complex products resulting from human activity. So the Aristotelian conception of technology does not exclude this meaning, but includes it. So Aristotle uses techne also in relation to the activity itself and its purpose. So from an Aristotelian perspective, of course, as artificial intelligence or any other digital meanings uh, is nothing but a consequence of our very advanced manufacturing me mechanism. For example, it starts from the improvement of a hardware, 
we our hardware, we integrate a billion transistor and chips that then are able to perform billion operation, then we get an IE. Uh, but in the same way, my shoes are a consequence of an advanced manufacturing system mechanism, which is just less advanced than uh, artificial intelligence. So from the perspective uh, of, our, of Aristotle, shoes are caused by the activity of the shoemaker was produced them, being aware of his purpose, has imposed a certain form on an already existing matter, but the us of my shoes, as well as their function, fall outside the product. So whether something good for the protection of my feet should be produced or not, whether or not artificial intelligence should be developed, whether a human being should be made immortal or not, these are not implication of technology as an activity. Techne, so technology is the activity of ordering what is suitable for a purpose. And then it is a potentially suitable material. This activity, however, is not simple production, nor necessarily resulting in a product. It's rather an intuition of how to improve something that does not improve intrinsically. So nature is productive in the sense of ordering what exists, but it's also the principle of persistence of the result of its own production. Technology instead is the intuition of a possibility that does not have its principle in nature, but still falls into the laws of nature. So metaphysically, even if a new Victor Frankenstein learns how to generate life from that, is not overcoming nature, but rather reorganizing natural constituents so that they become the archetypes of a new object that obeys to existing laws of nature. So this is the conclusion. And let me just add that um, the neutrality of Aristotle's um, ethical view of techne stands uh, in its purposes. So this is a good way to escape uh, the divide between um, you know, the demon of technology seen as a tempting opportunity and or as a danger to nature, and gives back the debate on our technology to its proper dimension, namely the purpose of its action and usefulness towards the wellness of our speeches. Thank you. Thank you very much, Enrico. I was wondering whether you could give us a few more examples of these um, tendency uh, to refer to natural as a model for technology, for instance, uh, the examples uh, still reference to Aristotle, uh, with which uh, I'm more familiar are those coming from the biological writings. So I'm thinking, yeah. for instance, about the parts of animals and how Aristotle, uh, description, for instance, of the camel that is particularly striking, the number of stomachs of an animal, which is uh, directly uh, linked to uh, the structure of their teeth, basically, and the famous quotation, which is, the nature does not anything in vain. So I was wondering whether you were considering that as well in your uh, discussion about nature as a yeah. model for techno. Yeah, yeah, thank you for, for your question. I'm... I'm... I just want to give you as an answer uh, a very small um, quotation, um, which seems to be um, the best way to answer your um, your concern. Um, yeah, well, uh, for example, in the Generation Animalium, um, which was I was trying to find the passage, but it takes too, too too much time because I can't remember it, it exactly. But it's compared, for example, octopuses uh, to ships. Um, um, so, in my view, we have to distinguish when Aristotle um, 
uh, want to make our, you know, it's different if, um, when Aristotle wants to establish or assemble between technology and nature from an ethical point of view or from a metaphysical one. So when, when Aristotle talks, because techne is part of, um, is an activity, so it's a mode of thought. So in this respect, um, Aristotle, um, you know, mentioned in physics and in, in, all, um, in all biological wars of Generazione Animale, it makes a lot of comparisons between animals and technological artifacts. Um, what I think is that those comparisons are not to be taken um, as metaphysically laden. Let me, let me say that. Uh, I think that teleology is the key answer uh, to understand uh, the, parallel, the parallelism Aristotle makes between technology in nature. So technology can imitate nature in its purposes. Of course, cannot imitate nature, um, can only imitate nature uh, metaphysically, but not everything is natural according to its purpose. So it seems to me that, for example, uh, I, I don't know if that helps. Um, Thank you. Thank you very much uh, yeah. for your answer, Rico. Uh, we have a question from Costanze, uh, who says, thank you for your presentation. You mentioned hubris earlier on when talking about force, and I was wondering if you could elaborate a bit on the role of hubris in putting boundaries to technological advancement. Yeah, thank you very much for the, this, this question. Uh, um, you know, the um, hubris uh, is pertain to the first strand of demonology, what I call the naturalist uh, demonology. Well, you know, hubris is uh, exactly um, is a key concept in understanding um, later Christian and uh, you know a, a account of demonology. Um, the need, I'll, so let me. All right. So I'm trying to say that hubris is not a key um, concept uh, in Greek. Um, in Greek demonology, because Greek demonology is mainly grounded on a neutral account of demons. So ancient Greek demons can be good or evil. So hubris, of course, can be seen as a, you know, a moral, ethical limit to technological advancement. But uh, my discussion of hubris is that it, it's a key concept in understanding later, uh, later traditions. Because the concept of hubris, namely defying gods uh, um, as humans, and so the attempt to acquire uh, powers who do not pertain to the natural um, status of human beings, um, it's very, as much, very much to say about the, the advent of um, sin in the history of uh, our relation with nature. So when early Christianity uh, put on uh, the conception of sin in Western thought, in Western demonology, so our relation with technology changed and hubris becomes a key concept, even if it's outside uh, the, the, the birthplace of ancient Greek culture. Because on the scholastic, for example, take on this concept in very different uh, words, but saying again that the sketch of nature should be preserved rather than challenged um, and all our accounts 
um, our, all our technological advancement should respect somehow uh, the limits imposed to us uh, by ethics. Um, so in this respect, I think, yes. Staying into the ancient Greek culture, I would rather say that you, given that ancient Greek gods are more um, anthropomorphic, um, is as much to, to is much more related to an ethical relation with gods who stands in a kind of relation, religious um, tension with the gods. But, you know, um, as for the nature technology debate, I think definitely hubris is a key, key concept. So thank you for the question. Thanks for listening to this podcast from Antiquity and the Anthropocene. To access more podcasts from the workshop, check out the Humanities Institute's podcast channels on Apple, SoundCloud, and on Spotify.